What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Dot Weatherly, and we're back for some more story time. And I've got a double header for you. Uh, Tony, as always, you're here for our story time. We're working our way to real time. Our real future. Real, real future. But we're we have on a... our way to the shit burger that is this island earth we are on yeah. our way yes it's it has been quite the, it has been quite the journey so far i've heard from multiple people as i'm sure you have mr weatherly that this is uh something p- people are people are saying this is an excellent companion to your other show stories mm. out of time and space and they are um anxiously people have said how dare you tease us with total recall and not have that out the next day so yes. people, the fans, the fans are clamoring. Thank they are, they are back. waiting for this. And as you, you know, you make it, what a wonderful segue you made there as well about the sister podcast stories out of time and space. It's out there. Go check it out because we could not do such a great sci-fi franchise or sci-fi film without uh, my brother from another mother uh, from the sister podcast. Julian Darius is also joining us today. Hi, Julian. Are you doing okay? I'm just here because I have three brass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's something's in the water. That's what it is. We were of a certain generation. There was something in the water. That's that's what, I'm this is what happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I like it. Wow. And funny, weirdly enough, I like to dress up as a, a large middle-aged woman in a ginger wig. And <laughs> I, I mean, people can get through, see, but I have mine on right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, we're all cosplaying. That's it. Yeah, yeah. None of us is Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is the you know the fun part. <laughs> um, so yeah, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be talking. I'm about going to do my Total Sharon Stone Verhoeven uh, moment later. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with what I'm. You guys can't see my. You can't see what I'm wearing downstairs. We no. don't know. But I've got some sort of let's say a basic instinct about what it is that's going to be going on. Um, so we are going to go through this in the usual order. We will start with the original story written by Philip K. Dick. We can remember it for you wholesale, um, which I believe was 1950. I don't have to check that. Um, and then we will go on to um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Paul Verhoeven uh, ver- version in 1990. And then to 2012 and the Colin Farrell remake reimagining it's a it's an interesting one um but we shall get to it so guys let's go back then let's start some pkd um julian you are new you're the first one you're the guest you're sort of new to the uh, story time let's start then philip k dick and uh we can remember it for you wholesale what your initial thoughts on this and uh intro story well, I think, unfortunately, uh, well, I mean, first of all, you forced me to read something for this, which you know, <laughs> yeah. is, is hard for books. me as, a, you know how he is. Yeah, as an yeah. American, just, you know. Um, but uh, no, I mean, I think my impression of it is typical of sort of everything I read by Philip K. Dick. So great ideas. And I'm sort of lost halfway through and am irritated by Dick's prose in places. Mm. 
I kind of gonna, <laughs> you you two are just gonna love it, and I'm gonna be like, no, no, yeah, it's 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 not quite Shakespeare, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it is not. It's one of those weird ones, actually. I was telling you, you're not wrong. I've I've always struggled reading Philip K. Dick. Like, it took me like three attempts to read um, "Do Androids Lead the Dream of Electric Sheep?" Like, it's not even a thick novel. Like, not a thick book. His prose is not easy to wade through. It's this isn't something you can read where you sat in bed just before you go to bed. Like, it's not easily decipherable. And I was, I'm gonna. One of the questions I'm gonna ask when we get to the end of this story. Obviously, Verhoeven goes for the full sort of like violent satire. Is this story a satire? Is it supposed to be funny? Because <laughs> I don't know when we get to the end of it. But we'll get. We'll ask that question, Tony. What are your thoughts then? Open yes, thoughts well, on this, is, this story. So this is the first time in story time where I read the story first before that I knew mm. like, before the movie came out. Like I was not. It's not. I looked. By the way, it was sixty six. It was late. Late Dick. Oh well. Wow. Um. Yeah. Um, uh, which is also the name of my prog rock band. And, um, <laughs> he, uh, he, I'm one of those people who keeps coming back to him because as you, as Julian said, brilliant ideas, not always interestingly executed. And that is why I think he's so rife for adaptation because he's a big picture guy. He's like, mm. he asks a question that he can't answer. And the, and like, Man in the high the one like I've read Do Android's Dream several times. Um, the Julian and I were texting not that long ago about the comic book adaptation, mm. uh, the Boom Studios one, which is the entire novel, like the balls of them to be like, we're not gonna adapt it. Like the whole text is in the comic, but we're just gonna put a visual to it. So it's like gonna be, you Oof. know, blah, 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 blah. He it's said like, it's like right reading in, it, yeah. Yeah, like reading it, early issues of Spawn, basically. One hundred percent. That is that is <laughs> yeah. it's a tone, man. It is a monster. Yeah. Um. But I come back to Dick over and over, and I always have my most of my life, uh, most of my life from teenage on. I've, I've discovered him as a teenager, as nerds do. Mm. Some nerd has a wise Yoda nerd who is like, "Have you read Dick?" And you're like, "What?" And then the world opens, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Um. So I, 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 I there's something there, like, like that he's easily adaptable. And this is, a, this is one of those things. I like, oh, I get it. I get what you did. Um, doesn't land it. The man in the high castle series was, I loved that show and it really took a turn from the book. But again, the book, that was his unfinished final novel, but really, could you tell? That's yeah. the thing with Dick. You're like, how do I know if it's unfinished? Like some of your stuff, you'll just like just stop ends. in the middle of a thought. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I enjoyed it. Um, I agree. It is dense. It is hard to, but again, I, I come back to this probably like the tenth or more time I've read this story, and so that says something about it, right? It's not. It's not. It's a. It's frustratingly good. Is is the that'll be it? You put that on the poster. Yeah. Philip K. Dick, frustratingly good, and maybe even a question mark <laughs> like that. So that's my. That was my way, and I don't know how old I was. I was, you know, in the in the early to mid eighties. I read it, and then you know, then the movie came out shortly thereafter. So. um still pleased every time i read it i'm like all right i forgot this part Mm. you know that happens a lot with him and it's only like what 20 pages it's not like it's a it's not like blade it's not like androids it's not like man in the high castle but yeah it's still i said but it's dense i think that's the thing it is with this um and the uh, word trudge is in the third sentence that says everything you need to know (laughs) yeah i'd also say like you know considering how sort of like you know it wants to be the future it's got these big ideas um, it still seems sort of stuck in 
the opening itself is almost like a sitcom level wedding. You know, this sitcom level marriage of like unhappy husband, whiny wife. And it's, it's, you know, it's so stereotypical that you're just like, okay, fine. But that's, you know, that's got to lead to something. And the Douglas, but the Douglas Quayle of this, not Quaid, but the, the Doug Quayle of this book, um, he, it's less about, you know, this sort of idea of is he or isn't he a secret agent on this mission? Um, it seems less, well, sometimes I think, when you've got like Arnie playing or even Colin Farrell, like, you know, you, you go, oh, there is, there isn't there. Like, you know, they, you could be like, this thing. But with this guy, like, you don't get a visual of him. At no point do they, does he say, like, you know, middle-aged, pudgy, balding, 5'3", guy, Doug Quayle. So you never know what he looks like, which is fine, because you've, you you know, but it, it the, the the mystery never seems to sort of materialise for me in the same, it's, with the same intensity. It never feels like the stakes to it. It's sort of like, even he's a bit like, oh, I might have done to Mars. <laughs> might not have done i don't know and it sort of it just seems so sort of shoulder shruggy throughout the middle that i'm like as i'm reading it i'm sort of like you know you say about trudge i'm sort of like well no one out no one in the story seems to really care <laughs> so do i i don't know it just it just feels like you know like you get to the end and it's like that's where i thought like is it a joke because the end is obviously another spoilers by the way we're going to spoil the hell out of this is this sort of like, oh, we're going to wipe it all and give him this other thing so he doesn't, you know, talk about it? We're going to give him this idea of he's the he saved humanity by stopping an invasion by miniature aliens, and then the joke is, the joke is, oh, that might have been true as well. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't like you saying, Julian, like I don't know, I don't fully understand it. Or I'm like, I, is the, is this happen? Like you know. It's not a case of like you can weave a way through this and go, there's evidence for this or there's evidence for that. I just get to the end and I'm like, was was this a really long setup to a shitty punchline? I don't get it. It it seems to me that it's like a uh, uh, 2000 AD strip or like an O. Henry twist that yes. just goes in, gives you that twist and then says, now watch how quickly I could do infinite regression of like, but that was a memory and that was a false memory and that was a false memory. Mm. And it's so in love with that device. And as you say, it's almost all dialogue. Um, you know, it is, it's very quick. It's very punchy. Dick, um, Dick almost never does that sort of long physical description grounding no. you. He, he goes right to the dialogue, short punchy sentences, which, you know, to his credit, it's a style. But you get so lost in the infinite regressions that, as you say, Scott, it's sort of like, um, am I supposed to care here or just mm. be delighted by, you know, it's another twist. You know, M. Night Shyamalan read this. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, you say about physical. I don't, I don't know, take a note. The, the one real physical element we get in this is that the receptionist is topless and has her boob sprayed different colors. Yep. Don't know yes. what, I'm not sure what to take from that, but it was the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that to be. yeah. It was a thing. It was all the drugs. I don't know. Um, I think, I think you, so your question, is it supposed to be satire? Is he satire? So you can do science fiction in a bunch of different ways, right? Mm -hmm. You can do it earnestly. You can do it. Um, uh, you can, which we'll talk about in a minute when we get to Verhoeven and his take what Verhoeven does and how he's like, fuck your earnestness. 
Fuck you, Ro- Philip K. Dick. Fuck you, Robert Heinlein. <laughs> um, he, right, he makes movies as a fuck you to the source material that he also sort of loves. And so I think the problem is the two are so inextricably linked for us. Um, even though I did read this first, obviously I have a way better visceral memory and and um, care more for the 1990 film than I do for the story. But I keep coming back to the story because, again, I keep wanting it to be more. Because mm. I do think Dick is one of those guys who probably couldn't sell stuff today. But in the 60s, this was a job. Was to like the every like magazine, like Kurt Vonnegut was rich man selling stories. Now, Vonnegut's a better writer than Dick at me people but <laughs> Vonnegut also Vonnegut because Vonnegut had full Vonnegut wouldn't publish it if the idea wasn't complete in his mind it may you may feel frustrated with it but that's the idea he wanted out there he want like when Billy Pilgrim is unstuck in time so are you and you're like wait Kurt Vonnegut's in this book too what the fuck is going on and it makes you feel real and he plays with you where Philip Dick isn't having any fun so that's what also makes right. me leave you you say he's not having fun and I this is so <laughs> There was almost there's a there's a point in this book and it comes up twice, which is why I was when I thought it may have been a joke. They talk about him, the the uh, the experience, what it is to have your memory inserted, right? So this isn't like in the films they have it as like you're fully aware that it's a memory, you're fully aware that we have we have given you this, like you know, and there's the you know the in recall in, in the films that or at least in. Verhoeven one, they say, you know, oh, you get ticket stubs and you get souvenirs and all this other stuff, but you, you don't forget that you've been to Recall. They never mention that, but in the in the story, they make a point of we basically take two weeks of your life and we make you believe you went to Mars or Saturn or wherever the hell you want to go, and you can have postcards and photos and ticket stubs and so on and so forth. But then they go on about the fact that you won't remember you've been to Recall. But then within two lines, he says, and if you're not satisfied, you can come back and get a, like a refund. And he says that, that comes up twice in the story. And I'm like, that's got to be a joke because you've literally told them they don't know they've been to recall. <laughs> so it's sort of like almost like a corporate loophole of going like, we could make an absolute pig's ear of this. It could be a nightmare for you, but you don't know you've been here. So I didn't know if it was like, is this a joke at terms and conditions? But I wasn't sure if that was a kind of thing in the 60s, but... You say he's not having fun, but I think he's trying to have fun. I literally think this is this is this is him trying to be fun, and it's almost like that person who doesn't quite understand what a joke is telling a joke. That could be that that could be totally true. That could be. I hear what you're saying. I get it. Um, that does make sense. But it's like because he the he's commenting on Clark and Asimov's earnest. Hmm unfun but brilliant science fiction right he's commenting on them and so that is the so to me is it satire i don't know is he questioning them maybe and he's like oh arthur clark do you really need two thousand words to describe that one thing yeah you know maybe and asimov do you need to tell it that long maybe but they both could write short stuff too so i feel like he is trying to write an earnest commentary on that other stuff whereas like other people of his era vonnegut in particular who I feel like the two of them, I think that was it. The person was like, oh, you like Vonnegut? Have you read Dick? And again, that's like saying, oh, do you like Pepsi? You should try Jack Daniels. They're not the same, (laughs) but just because they're both beverages, you lump them together. But that people put Vonnegut and Dick together where one is having fun and one isn't. One is doing big ideas that he doesn't know how to land. So, So is he commenting on 
Asimov and Clark, possibly. Um, I don't know, Julian, you keep on micing and I keep rambling, so I'm going to shut up. You go, Dr. D. No, it's it's just random clicking. Um, no, I, I think the remarkable thing there, and I like your point, Scott, your idea there. I think the remarkable thing is how, you know, to your point, Tony, that uh, it's almost like the story is totally unstable. Uh, you know, and, and part of what I love about do Android stream electric sheep is like, you know, the, the mood alterator and, you know, like it really paints what it's like to live in this society. And I, and I love the B plot that's not in Blade Runner at all. Um, here it's like, there's no stable, you know, it's like almost meaningless to even wonder, like, is that a joke? Because everything's going to be unstable you know, it's like the rug is pulled out from under you the second any fact is established. You know, the next two paragraphs later, we'll tell you that, but that's not actually true. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, if he's trying to make a point of like, you know, how much you can't trust memory, fine. But then the plot should have to, to, to be more about that. Because again, like, th th this is the thing I sort of took from this. It, it seems to just like information, like you said, Julian, sort of drops in and then drops out again, quite sort of like intermittently. He, you know, goes to recall. They put him in the the, the um on the table. They're going to do the thing, and then they call in the boss, and he's sort of like, "Listen to this," because they're going to give him this interplanetary spy trip to Mars for for two weeks or whatever. And then, like in his haze, he sort of like has this gravelly sort of you know, pulp fiction kind of spy voice all of a sudden. And he's sort of like, you don't know what it's like to get a Mars kind of like, all that. And it's like, oh no, he's really been like, you know, and then, like, okay, we'll get rid of him sort of thing. But they, and then there's all this thing about dried up worms and little plants and all this other stuff. That's like, oh, that's proof he's been there. And you go, okay. And I'm going, okay, that sounds like an odd thing to have as a spy. Like, he smuggled this in, and he has memories of smuggling this in. And then later on, it just sort of mentions, it builds up to this idea of, oh, yeah, no, I was as an assassin, and I was trained for five years to become an assassin. And you go, okay. <laughs> All right, that seems to have just come out of nowhere, and it's sort of not really explained. Um, and like you say, it's, it's barely mentioning it, but it's never sort of resolved. It's say, oh, there's a white, who trained him? What's it for? There's a wider plot here. And then the, obviously the government seemed to get involved later on, but like you say, but that seems to just again just drop out, and there becomes this other thing of that's when like, the alien thing comes in. Like it's unstable in the sense of like following this as a, as a narrative. Yes, events happen in an order, but you know, I am literally going like, sorry, I've got to go two two pages back just to check something that's happened in this short story to reaffirm what I'm reading now, and I don't mind doing that so much. If it was like a mystery, you know, if something's revealed, and it's called, oh, this was hinted at two, three pages ago. Oh, my God, they're actually finally revealing this thing. Fine. But it's more a case of you're on reading going, I think that seems to contradict something that was said two pages ago. And I'm having to check. So it just feels like that where I'm, I'm it's, it, you know, is he trying to present the muddled consciousness that Quail is feeling? If he is then he's quite successful i don't know it, it seems to me like the uh box of worms 
could be a sort of signifier for a, a painful moment where you discover this and you're like, oh my God, this is real. I have these memories that define me that I don't know. And it almost gets there. And then it sort of becomes, well, that could have been planted anyway. But it, it seems that that's one, you know, like you can do that and sort of have a sort of Schrodinger's cat, like, well, it, it could serve two meanings mm. in two different versions of reality. But that's one of, it seems to me, several signifiers, right? It, it, including the uh, refund. Like, why are you refunding half the money, right? <laughs> like, that's again, that's going to track you right back to recall. You refund it or you don't. Yeah. Uh, and he just says, like, it seems fair. And then the aliens, like, you know, is uh, another sort of signifier. So there are these kind of like signifiers, these things that in a, you know, this is not an Agatha Christie story. These would be clues in a mm -hmm. more stable narrative. They sort of become these signifiers, but then they are just kind of floating signifiers that sort of evoke ideas, but never signify anything and aren't, it's not even clear what their primary signified would be, you know, let alone that they, they might have two, uh, as in the case of the worms, which I think is probably the best kind of thing like that in the story but it seems very strange to me that he sets these symbols up mm. and then they almost never have a meaning to begin with let alone a meaning to then subvert so you get these subversions of something that its original meaning hasn't been set up and sometimes the subverted meaning isn't set up yeah. and then it's subverted again yeah yeah i i like that i think that's true and i do and again sometimes it's like you you again he gets away with it because there's a need for stuff, right? Mm. There's a need for stuff. And there's we need content and this guy's published stuff. And it could we I you know, I don't know the history of this, but this is again middle of you know, the, he was already a name at this point in time by the time this got published. Um, because like Philip K. Dick has a new story out, and so that's gonna be it. And again, and I and again, I like I said, I've read almost everything he's written. I come back to him over and over again because again, of the ideas, like Julian said, he he gives me ideas and he lets me think of things, and he he makes me think. Well, not necessarily how do I make it better, but how do I, what is he hinting at? What is he getting, what does he want me to think about? Like you you mentioned the money thing. That was my thing. So that goes back to the title. Remember it for you wholesale. So this does go back to this idea that it is all just a scam. The title, like, you know, if you if you make the title part of the story and the fact that you only get half the refund and this is all a scam mm -hmm. and that it then the truth is, this guy was like all of the all of the things are real. He was a secret agent. He was an Interpol or whatever they call it, Interplan. He was all those things. There was some other real technology that this guy who's like sleazy. Hey, Bob McLean here. I got I got this cool thing. I'm going to come get you him. All of that stuff is all a fake racket. He just happened to get like almost it right. And the fact that instead of just giving his money back, he's like, oh shit, wipe his memory, give his money back and go away. It would go away. But because he's a scam artist, because he's a shyster. So there is there is these two layers happening. So it leads me to believe my read on this story always has been is that Quail is for real the secret agent and Bob McLean, Shyster, fucked up and backed into it. And like Dan Quail, Dan Quail, ha, sorry, former <laughs> vice president and giant douchebag, Doug Quail is the is the protagonist, but the story is about McLean. And his and his uh, bullshit and like total recall as a company as it real as it not real and it's like you know just think about this is you know pre internet pre anything but like we all know about getting spammed with shit right mm. we all know like our works 
all have to have like because people will hack my president, the new president of the university where Julian and I work, his email has been hacked already and he's been there less than a year. And you get an email, it's like, hey, can you send me a, your phone number? I need to talk to you. I'm like, no, you're the president. You have my number if you need it. I'm not, that's a weird thing to, you know, like, you know, that's a hack. Um, and so, th- but there's always somebody who's trying to sell you something. There's always trying to get something for nothing. And so the fact is like, we'll tell for your wholesale, that's a, that's a sales pitch, right? Mm. Like, in, especially in America, I don't know how you guys buy cars in the UK, but like in America, that's always the thing is like, you don't pay sticker price. You got to haggle. That's exhausting. I don't want to, I actually walked out on the guy who was trying to sell me a car. He's like, Hey, and he called me slick in the middle of the sales pitch. And I was done. I was like, we're done. <laughs> it's not. I'm not buying a car. And I walked next door to the neighboring car place and said to the guy, just sell me a car. That is the price. And don't give me a bunch of bullshit. And I bought a car from like in an hour. That other guy is like driving away, flipping him off. Mm -hmm. So there is this like weird. uh, So to me, that's the social commentary is on the selling of garbage in the way that will. And sometimes, you know, you accidentally bump into something. So, you know, that so there's two ideas. They can't resolve themselves. That's my theory. I could be wrong. I like no, to be wrong. It's interesting. I want, Julian, you've got something you want to throw in? Or I, I just want to say that seems, uh, I like what Tony's saying. It seems so Philip K. Dick, right? Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> the thing that I love about Philip K. Dick uh, is that everybody is slimy, right? Yeah, for sure. like, yeah. Philip K. Dick, you know, like there's no Arnold Schwarzenegger. There's no, you know, like glowing white hope, you know. Everybody is just a sleazy slime ball, and in private, we're all disgusting, petty people. Uh, <laughs> That's you know, so true. <laughs> so that fits perfectly with um, my uh, impression of Phil K. Dick. And I do have to say, I've always been not understood the title uh, up until this reading. I always saw the title as we can remember them for you wholesale as in wholesale volume. Not at wholesale price, mm. but that's not as catchy, uh, you know. So I always thought, well, this is, you know, we could just do a whole lot of memory implants real cheap. Yeah. <laughs> that's good though. That's but true. Kind of happens. Yeah. But yeah. No, yeah. I like I like what you're saying, Tony. Okay, I see what you're saying. The best way about the slimy characters because there is like nobody is likable in this, or in most but, of his books. Yeah, as as Julian is saying, there's nobody like. You don't read Man in the High Castle. You're like, Juliana Crane is awesome. Like, that's the one problem with the show is that everybody loves Juliana Crane. She's an asshole. Mm. Like, I don't get it. Like, Lee and I will talk about it. Like, by the time we got to the end of that series, we're like, and I would look over, she, we'd look at each other every once in a while. Like, do you love Juliana Crane now? Because, like, for no reason, even, like, everybody falls in love. Like, the gay guy falls in love with Juliana Crane. Everybody's in love with Juliana Crane. But she's an asshole in this story. And I get it. That doesn't work. For for there, you need Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? You need her. You need uh, Alexa Dalvalas. You need yes. her. Like you can't have because she's charming and commands the screen. She should be the lead. Schwarzenegger should be the lead. I get it. But you're so right, Julian. Everybody sucks in all of his stories, no matter what who the heroes. Decker is the worst. Like when they were like Harrison Ooh. Ford, we're gonna have you play Decker. He's like, if you read that book, that guy's the worst. <laughs> like, I don't want to. Well, we'll change it. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not playing this slime ball. Yeah, right. You want me in your movie? You make me hero. Even change the name from Quail. I'm not going to play a Quail. I'm not a bird to be followed around. Well, we'll shot. talk about. We will talk yeah. about it. So I've just listened. I've just been reading a, a book called The Last Action Heroes, and there's some stuff about this. The the yeah. what's it version? Yeah. Um. So, um. But the thing like, the, to talk about the action movies that have come out of this. One of the things that struck me, um, about this story, 
that I thought was was in that just made me sort of the reason again I keep thinking this is a joke or at least a, like a joke on me maybe is that the memories that may or may not be true are the better more insight interesting stories. <laughs> So when he comes through it all, he's like, this is either the story of a, a, an individual that was chosen at random and trained for five years to become a spy, to infiltrate a group, to kill someone, and then had to have their memory wiped. And he used... And then we find out, actually, that person, as a child, <laughs> actually saved the world from invasion by being a thing and actually was given a death gun by the aliens, which he then used to commit the assassination. And I'm going like, oh man, that sounds like an amazingly sort of like, you know, out there kind of, um, kind of thing that the guy who played, like, what's his name? Harry Har um, Harrison, the guy who played, it's like, uh, st stainless steel rat. Like, you know, you're going to go all out crazy with that kind of thing. It's, and I'm going, but that's not in here. <laughs> I'm reading this weirdly sort of like cold, um, you know, kind of dense drudgery, and I'm, but all I'm thinking is going. I kind of want to read the story about the spy that was trained for five years to kill this person, or the Spielberg version where it's about a little boy that, like you know, c c sort of negotiates with an invading alien force to save the planet. Like I'm getting, I thought like, hang on, this feels like it's it's a joke on me that I'm having to read. I'm reading the boring bits, or I'm remembering the more exciting stuff. Um, so I thought it was kind of ironic that this has led to two rather exciting action films, um, which is sort of like what this is trying to avoid being. Yeah. It is. It is. Well, that is it, that is interesting because that is something I wanted to discuss about Dick writ large with you guys before we made the move. So that's a good, again, good segue, my friend. For whatever reason, we keep wanting to turn Philip K. Dick's things into action movies like minority report is an action film you guys covered that it's mm. not an action story this mm. isn't an action story he doesn't do man in the high castle is people sitting around juliana crane reads a book and then pushes somebody off a cliff the book that's it that's all that happens i mean i'm not even making that up that's what happens and mm. i love that book i mean to be fair it ends weird it's not finished but like that's what it is juliana crane reads a book for like 60 pages and then pushes someone off a cliff the end and you're like maybe she okay. was reading maybe she's reading Philip K. Dick and pushing yeah, like, like just people sitting around, right? Yeah. I mean, like, and so all of his things are people sitting around. So that's my question for the two of you. So what is it about him? Like paycheck is a six-page short story that they turned that Ben and Uma turned into that big action movie that is like because other than I, the idea. Yeah, why? The thing why I realized with this, him? yeah. The thing I realized with this story, as I as I read it, you know, it it's it's pitchable. He is an absolute pitch machine because you don't say it's a story about two guys hanging around. You say it's a guy who goes to this memory implant place to have a memory and they find out that he's actually or may actually already be an alien, um, an alien spy. And he's, he's going to be linked with this conspiracy you know, on Mars. We can get Arnold Schwarzenegger to play it. We're in. Yeah. You know, sort of. Um, oh, it's going to be about memory loss. It's about this. We're going to have Ben Affleck play it. We're in. You know, it's that kind of thing. It, you've said about the big ideas. Yeah, they are the big. It's high. It's that sort of like um, what do they call it? It's an elevator pitch. You just take a Philip K. Dick story, boil it down to its key idea, and then just attach a celebrity. You know, attach someone of note to it at the time. And a detective tracks down six replic six replicant robots. It's going to be a, you know, it'll look like a noir 
sort of futuristic detective story. Harrison Ford's going to be be in it. We're in. You know, it's it's that that's what it is. It's not about the density of the stories because that's for the dick fans. Um, but from a from an executive producer's point of view, like he is gold because you can just say, "This is the idea. This is go turn this into an action piece, which is quite simple. Get me a big name." Well, and the other thing is Hollywood loves the twist of everything you know is wrong. Yeah. You know, you think it's reality, but isn't it? I mean, think of how, like, after The Matrix, like, any pitch like that was accepted in Hollywood. But, you know, that's true. You know, it's true Blade Runner. It's true to a lesser degree of The Man in the High Castle. You know, what is the real world that's dreaming, Mm -hmm. writing the other one? Um, And, you know, here, obviously, it has to do with memories. Um but, you know, so and I, I think Hollywood loves those stories, you know, add gu- like you say, add guns, add a handsome face, add three breasts, you know, and yeah. you're done. Uh, it writes itself. Um, I think that actually is a mathematical formula. Yeah. On, on some, <laughs> That's called uh, the, ho- the, Hollywood, the Hollywood algorithm, <laughs> they call it. <laughs> you know, but the other thing that strikes me about this, this is uh, that I'm always aware reading Philip K. Dick that he is mentally ill. And partially that's because I'm mentally ill, but, you know, I'm very palpably aware that he's mentally ill. And so what goes along with this, like, idea that we're all really, like, disgusting, petty people in private is, like, we're all paranoid. (laughs) (laughs) Philip K. Dick is obviously, like, a paranoid, unwell person, right? And it comes out. Oh my yeah, God, you're so because right. Because the, the, the whole thing about the miniature aliens, is, yeah, it's just to finish, Scott is right that it's like, I want to see that, you know, that thing, uh, you know, I can imagine it. I can imagine mm. it as a comic. I'm imagining it as a movie. But what I'm feeling is like, I'm secretly the most important man in the world. Yes. I secretly saved the And it's not like, you know, uh, Michael Bay's Transformers, where it's like, I'm not getting the recognition I deserve. It's like, I go to work at the post office, but secretly the world revolves around me. Don't you know? So well, that's even the line, isn't no. it? Oh my God. That's, but you know, what's funny as, as Julian's talking, not funny, but true. And, and I mean, I'm not making fun of mental illness as someone who has it as well. What I'm saying is Julian, you know, it's right on there. The one movie that of his, that totally bombed that had an a cast that was just people sitting around being paranoid, fucking scanner darkly. Which is, mm. I love that film. That is maybe like my, I mean, like I love Total Recall is probably my favorite Philip K. Dick adaptation. Like, but I love that, like as a movie. But like, Scanner Darkly is so the book. And they're like, and, and I still don't even know how they gave Linklater that money. He's probably like, because like you said, I got a cast. You nailed it, Scott. They're like, he pitched it. He's like, listen, Keanu Reeves, Winona Ryder, Woody Harrelson, Robert Downey Jr., we're going to animate them and make them squiggly. And they're all going to be paranoid drug addicts, which three of the four of them already are. Okay, go. And that was it. And like the fact that Keanu has to play the straight man in that. But it's like it but but you're right. They they totally leans into the paranoia and that is the most straight Philip K Dick movie adaptation there is and very unsuccessful. Like it's a, everybody forgets that that movie exists, but I love it and it's exactly what you said. It captures it so well. And so probably they were like we made that and that bombed. What's the next one we're going to do? Nicolas Cage next. Okay, cool. Let's yeah. do that one instead because that makes no sense and is bananas yeah. and stupid and actiony again because four paranoid people sitting in a rap talking didn't do very well. That's no, you nailed it. it. Julian, you're in charge of Hollywood now. Yeah. 
that's what but you're right i think that's what it is but when you say nicholas cage i'm pretty sure nicholas cage just sits with like a an anth- a book of like stacks and stacks of anthology books around and he'll be just picking up a philip k duke one and be like uh that one and then goes off and offers it and be like don't worry i've got to get paid to pay my taxes um i want to just make a point that one of the lines we talked about you say about the paranoid but also sort of like how people see this this is um when they talk about the, him being the child that stopped the alien invasion, um, this has nothing to do with the Mars or Interplan, single-handedly stopping an invasion of Earth from another star system. He shook his head at that. Wow, what a kid dreams up, and by pious virtue too, not by force. So it's this idea of, like, he did it through good means. It's sort of quaint. He dabbed his forehead with a large linen pocket handkerchief. Nobody said anything. In fact, McLean said, it's touching, but arrogant, the police official said starkly, inasmuch as when he dies, the invasion will resume. No wonder he doesn't recall it. It's the most grandiose fantasy I ever ran across. So I love the fact the police are like, these people in the memory business are like this is a cool idea i love it why wouldn't you do this it's a great co- concept but the police are going no he's clearly a sort of delusional psychopath this guy is a real problem um so yeah i think it is quite interesting how people sort of like same fantasy different perspectives on the same thing but that paranoia is definitely there um yes you nailed it julian nailed it that's the answer but you're right that's what it is is that dick dick you know, gives us the paranoia and the isolation and the movies are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want that. We need, we, I mean, they, they, they can dabble Schwarzenegger, Farrell, Tom Cruise, um, you know, fill in the blank, whichever Philip K. Dick action, action or Nick Cage, they can, we, they can be confused and they can make a confused face, but they're fine at the end. Right. And it's, the most it is, part. yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, fine at the end, meaning like they're vindicated or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's not, they're not, crazy like they un they un almost like the film versions are an indictment on dick where you're saying julian like the stories are his therapy like we you can relate because you're like feel you brother <laughs> right yeah. yeah i i often think that n- not just hollywood but a lot of fiction is basically taking some delusion some really ugly mental illness idea and glossing it up and giving it leather trench coats and, you know, <laughs> slow-mo yeah. uh, Zack Snyder gloss. Um, you know, I mean, if you think about even, like, Agatha Christie, you know, it's like, they all work together and did the murder. Like, that's a paranoid, <laughs> crazy. Like, in real life, is not this Baroque, you know? Um, you know, I'm but, trapped you know, on this train with a whole bunch of manipulative murderers. <laughs> right. Amazing. You know, I mean... You know, I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, think about the Matrix, like it inspired school shootings and stuff like and and, and people mm-hmm. killing their mom, you know, like these are kind of damaging ideas, but we we dress them up. And I think I think the dick kind of like half dresses them up, you know, he sort of does his best to dress them up. But Hollywood, you know, what Hollywood really should do is just go to mental institutions, hear crazy shit and then say, there's a screenwriter, build a world around us. Right, build a coherent plot around this, and I think that's kind of what they end up doing with it, mostly, yeah. except for Scanner Darkly. Yeah, which again bombed. Right, I mean, and it's fucking cool. I love that movie. I think it's beautiful. I, you know, I'm a Link Later. I'm a stand for Link Later anyway. Like it's the fact that you know. So, but I think it's. I think they and they all had a ball. You could tell. 
but it's an interesting then, film. Julie and I have talked about getting to Scanner Darkly. I think we have uh, varying opinions on that. But oh, you're right. Okay. But, but, well, but I don't Phil... want to jump that. I don't. You guys no, I can't wait but... for that to come on Stories in Time Space coming. No, soon. but it is. It is interesting. I don't understand any movie where somebody doesn't have a gun put to their head. <laughs> I need oh, people sorry. shot in the torso, or I'm not watching. Okay. <laughs> you're not yeah. watching. Especially with Keanu Reeves in it, right? I do think. Yeah, we do Hollywood again. Just to so about you know to say about um, this kind of narrative. And also where, again, it's not so much, you know, we're going to talk about, and we'll quickly jump onto, like, you know, the, the heroic fantasization of these things. But when they do take something similar and take it down a narrative and they have a sort of like a, a non-heroic protagonist, or it's going to be questionable or grey. I mean, not just this, you know, we've obviously talked about Videodrome, um, where it's very much the same sort of thing. But he's like, no, that's not a, a nice set of people. Like, and it didn't do particularly well because it makes people feel uncomfortable. You know, you sort of go, oh, but it's James Woods. He's a celebrity. Like, he's a star at that point. Like, we know who he is. You go watch it and you go, oh, shit, this isn't... Oh, shit. This, yeah, this film is, is insane. Um, and the same with, like, you know, um, starting his sort of uh, still relatively early in his career, but, like, uh, what's it? Um, Johnny Depp doing... Leaving uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Everyone says, oh, Johnny Depp's doing a film that. And then they watch it and go like, oh, no, this is a drug-addled, insane Terry Gilliam movie, and I don't know what to make of it. Like, you, you, they, you know, it's not packaged in the right way for certain, like, the mainstream, and all of a sudden, sort of, like, people go, oh, I don't like that. And you go, well, you you do. You're just not ready for this version of it, I think, sort of. You like the, the happy, clappy sort of version. So on that note, let us... Traverse to the late eighties and early nineties. Where are we going to go, Scott? You oh. have the best Arnie of the three of us. Yeah. Tell everybody where we're going. Well, I am going to get my ass to Mars. Um, I am. I wanted to. This came about for two reasons. Um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger saw Paul Verhoeven um, at, a, at a golf resort. And actually, and basically walked across and said, like, you know, I really want to work with you. I've seen Robocop. It's amazing. <laughs> and uh, so they were sort of really big fans of each other. And so we're like, cool, we've got to work together, make this happen. So they were sort of apparently sort of in the background, their sort of people were looking for things that these two could work together on. And this version of Total Recall um, that wasn't called that originally, it was being just touted as, you know, we can root for you wholesale at one point. And it was a much more intellectual version. It was going to be a, more of a straight drama and it's sort of like conspiracy film and that sort of thing. And then uh, Mario Casar, the producer at Carol Co, got hold of it and was like, no, this isn't what this film is. This is an amazing story. And he gave it to, I forget the name's guy. I've got his, his name's in here. Kuffer, um, something. I thought you find. He basically gave it to him. They went away, rewrote it, and. Um, came back with the version, and then it was it was handed around to several people in Hollywood as as they usually are. Um, Ronald Shusset, that's it. He was the guy that was sort of handed to, and it was handed around Hollywood for usual people. Names were associated with it. The, the ones that were making a big sort of thing, Kurt Russell was associated with it at one point, and you know other little people. And then Arnold sort of heard it and was like, "No, no, that's that's mine. This is for me and and Beethoven." And instantly, like that was it, um, and they were they're seeing like, well, Arnie's Arnie can do anything at this point because 
Um, not only had he sort of established himself as a as a an action hero, an action icon by 1990 or 1989, um, Twins had now come out and he had proved that he could do comedy with Ivan Reitman and Danny DeVito, and so people were like, "Oh, he can do," you know, he can he's he's he is versatile. He's an actor. He's versatile. And so they were fully supportive, and um, the, the, this was given the green light in seconds, literally, when, the, when everything came together. Um, apparently, the only thing I would say is that apparently there was only one time um, that Verhoeven and Schwarzenegger sort of didn't agree uh, on something, um, and it was about the level of violence in one scene, um, where it was about sort of, like again... Um, you said about sort of like you know being the hero. Um, Verhoeven was very much about um, the bit where he sort of screw you and he puts it through the the side. There was going to be a bit more to that, and and uh, sort of I think Schwarzenegger was like, the more it lingers on it, the more it sort of just looks like taking pleasure in hitting someone with the drill. Um, and so they were like, no, no, that's got to be a lot shorter. So that apparently that was about it. They got on really well. So so Schwarzenegger, you're saying wait. Schwarzenegger was like, maybe we don't brutally crucify yeah. the or gut the black guy. And yeah, basically. They're like, oh, and then sort yeah, of like linger on it with him going like, good yeah. idea, good idea, Arnold. <laughs> that was smart of you to yeah. have some social awareness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so there we go. So yeah, but in this film, obviously, you know the uh, the bodybuilding. Um, but this this was the other thing that's noted in in one of the commentaries I was sort of read I was reading up on. Um, they had to make him a construction worker. Because it so in the original uh, version of the story, I think he just worked as an accountant. He's a desk clerk. Yeah. Desk clerk, yeah. So they were going to keep all that, but then they were like, "How do we account for Arnold's size <laughs> and definition?" So they had to make him a construction worker, and this is the thing that makes me laugh. So they they did that to justify his bulk, and then just put like random random chubby guy next to him. <laughs> I know that doesn't he's work not, at all. You're like, he's wait, not you're doing cut. the same job, huh? Yeah. So. Things like that. Uh, uh, that's why kind of the, the bits is for my absolutely adore. But yes, generally sort of. Uh, so the film plot, uh, Doug Quaid uh, is obsessed. He wants to travel to Mars. He's had this obsession. and But there's some trouble on Mars. Um, there is a resistance force trying to go against um, Cohagen, the uh, governor, or sort of the runner of Mars, who charges them all for air and everything else. Um, and then, but so instead of being able to go, he decides to go to recall and get a memory and decides to be a secret agent, but then has a fit in the chair and it's turned out, or is no, it either turns out he was actually um, a part of the conspiracy and then has this whole sort of conspiracy fight and goes off to Mars and eventually finds out that there's alien technology and, and sort of saves Mars. Or he is in an institution and everything <laughs> that we experience is in his head. And he is he is about he has been lobotomized by the end of the film. Um debate. <laughs> debate. Discuss. The first, first and foremost, then let's go. I asked, yeah. asked Julian first. Tony, yeah. your thoughts though, as a oh. movie. Like, what, what are your first thoughts on the on Oh, I love it. Listen, this movie knows so what it is. And the two, I too saw Robocop and was like, what is I mean, you know, Verhoeven does what Verhoeven does. And I was here for it, and I, I'm I'm here for it still. I'm here mm. for it then. I love a guy who can give you the thing that you want, give you the silly violence, you know, RoboCop. This, like his 
like his perfect the trilogy of Verhoeven is this Starship Troopers and Robocop right to me 100%. those three movies are like the the like if he only made those three movies he could die a hero um and not to say that his other movies are bad but like he gave us these three perfect movies at the perfect time where it's like again as we were saying like is Dick commenting on what Clark and Asimov are doing, whereas Verhoeven is absolutely commenting on what everybody else is doing and giving you that exact same thing. You don't get, you know, Deadpool. You don't get anything that's self-referential without Verhoeven. So the first time I saw it, you didn't know. I didn't know it was going to be that, but I mean, I knew I saw Robocop, you know, I saw this and you, and you see it at a different age, you know, as a younger person, as an older person, but even then you get it, you laugh. Like mm. you don't laugh at Robocop. You're missing the point. If you don't giggle at this, if you don't see that Ronnie Cox was like, give me that scene where I'm just going to chew it up. <laughs> and then when he and Michael Ironsides are on the screen together, they're like, I'm full from eating all this up. And that when you have Arnold Schwarzenegger playing the straight man is amazing. Like, so it's just, I think this is his, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's my, it's tough. It's tough because Robocop is almost perfect too. But again, like, so I just keep them all together, but I just love it so much. I just think it's fun. It knows what it is. I do think Sharon Stone is the weak link, um, but it's not her fault. She's, you know, she's who she is. Verhoeven likes to work with her. She's one of those people who keeps getting movies because people like her. You know what I mean? Like there's actors who are like that. So it's fine. Um, I could, I could just, gush and turn it into the chris farley show remember that time and i won't so she is i've said with sharon stone she appears to be one of the only members of the cast that don't get what what this film is like she's, she's the tara reed of this yeah she's kind of like yeah. playing she it in a certain in way different. yeah yeah she, she's gone i'm in this amazing sci-fi epic and <laughs> you know and everyone else is going like oh i'm in this pulpy badass incredible thing but yeah you're right um julian initial thoughts and on on uh Beethoven's Total Recall. I, I like this too. Uh, I, I love it. I, I was looking and I realized, you know, I saw this when I was 13. Uh, you know, and I was thinking, oh yeah, I, I watched a lot of, I had already seen Robocop. You know, <laughs> like, you know, uh, you know but um, yeah, you know, I think it starts weaker than it ends up being. I do think that it's a little weak and a little slow with the opening. You know, I think like maybe 20 minutes in, I'm thinking like, you know, this is fine, pulpy stuff, but, like, why do I remember it as, like, a classic? And, you know, it gets better. Mm. Um, but I, I would say that, you know, we've talked about how, um, you know, action movies and, and serial killer movies and all this sort of fiction lets us kind of vicariously enjoy sinning, right, without actually doing it, right? Like, you know, boy, if, if, I, if I had a machine gun, and I gun down those Vietnamese <laughs> villagers like Rambo, yeah. you know, uh, you know, it lets us kind of vicariously go out and commit terrible murders while still feeling uh, morally insulated because Hannibal Lecter's the bad guy and the mm. good guys win. Right. So, you know, here, you know, uh, uh, Verhoeven, one of the things I love about him is he gives us the the sugary you know, syrupy, disgusting candy that we want, right? And and he makes it so sugary and so syrupy <laughs> that it's like he makes you aware of just like how <laughs> disgusting it is. But then he also uh, undermines it and 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 you know, sort of like puts his finger in your eye and says like, "You enjoy this, don't you?" And makes you <laughs> very aware of the fact that you're enjoying like this sugary version of uh, what you are. And so I think it, in some ways this is sort of the ultimate version of that. 
that, you know, because of the fantasy element that, you know, it's like, yeah, you all, we all know that what all action movies are doing, all of, you know, sort of especially action sci-fi, but, you know, fantasy movies all, you know, is selling us memories, right? Hmm. Selling us vicarious experience. And, you know, they're romantic and they look awesome and they're super violent. But, you know, I mean, it's like, think about all the James Bond movies, right? Every scene's a sex scene, right? You know, it's it's not about, you know, it's not Jean-Luc Carré, you know, it's not really <laughs> about espionage. It's really about, you know, I could travel the world, kill people with impunity and screw every hot girl I wanted, you know? with an unlimited budget you know <laughs> like that sounds awesome that's that's what the films are selling right but they cloak it in a sense of moral um rectitude right that lets you sort of feel okay about that almost um and here you know it's just making you very painfully aware of your own fantasies and how that plays into cinema and, and blockbusters so in terms of the Verhoeven catalog and its place in history, that's a huge part of what I love about this. Well, I almost think you're right. I think because you know the one thing this is missing with regards to the rest of those other films in his, let's say, in his you know um, thematic trilogy, is the adverts. Because you obviously have those in um, in RoboCop. You know, where they've got the sort of like you know the family sort of game that's about nuclear war, or the sort of the um, the SU, you know, the SUX six thousand, and all those kind of things. And then in um, uh, Starship Troopers, you sort of like you know <laughs> want to know more, sort of you know those kind of things. And I love all that sort of stuff. I'm doing my thing. I'm doing my bit. All that sort of stuff. This feels like they realize they can't do that in this film because it's not about the. Um, the culture, it's not about that sort of thing. You know, there's not a cultural element in the same way. But you're right in the sense that that is replaced by, there are characters that are, I feel are just directly talking to the audience when they are saying about sort of like, you know, you, oh, you wanted to be, you know, you want to be Hauser, you want to be this. Like, like, they're not talking to Arnie, they are talking to you saying like, oh, you wish you could go to Recall. Like, you know, you know you would do that if you had the opportunity to have a memory to be Arnold Schwarzenegger sort of thing. Like, 100%, that's what is replaced in this film, is characters coming in and sort of like, you know, not so much directly, but like out the corner of their eye, looking at the audience and saying like, exactly as you're saying, Julian, like, you want to be doing this, don't you? You want to be going to Mars. It's you true. Dirty, you know, it's funny, dirty though. little monkeys. Yeah. But the advertising, like Pepsi, is in this, and I think it's funny that Fujifilm is one of the big sponsors of this, yes. one of the product placements. So I'm like, film. Yeah. How funny! Yeah. That's the one thing they totally swung and missed. I'm like, a lot of the things that you know they were really right on, but this was a bit. You had to pay for Arnold, where mm. you know, I mean, Casper Van Dien. How much did you got him for a nickel and a cup of soup? Yeah. I mean, the biggest star in that movie at the time was Doogie, was uh, um, Neil Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris at the time, and he's still coming off TV, you know. And then, like, if you think about Robocop, Peter Weller, I mean, he, you know, committed to the role and took the ballet and did all the work, but he was Buckaroo Banzai. It wasn't like you had to worry about the name, you had to pay for Arnold. So, if you're going to pay for Arnold, you better fucking have Pepsi as in the background. You know, it's like when you think about you guys, when you did Demolition Man. We know the Taco Bell thing was also making fun of it, but it was also like they paid for demolition. Money. Oh, 100%. Yeah, right? Well. So, I mean, it was also that, too. So, I think this is that is why it's missing here, that the mm. Verhoeven 
universe. Like it's can't, he can't quite it, get away with it because of yeah, the stage. because you got to spend the money to get Arnold. Yeah, he's the. I mean, sixty-five million was the budget. I at, and this is nineteen eighty-nine when they filmed it. So yes. he got twenty of that. Ten? What do you think he got of that? Arnie of the sixty-five. Yeah. Uh no, it was it was around ten. I think around ten. 10 okay, million. so but. Yeah. But think about that. A $65 million budget and one person gets $10 million. Yeah. So that means you got $55 million to do the rest. Yeah. And again, Ironside, and again, I'm sure he shows up for like a bag of Coke. But it doesn't <laughs> matter. Like, you got and, – and that's an Arnold thing too at this time. You know, and then, of course, then he goes on to make his greatest film, Last Action Hero, where he knew what he did and he knew to make fun of himself. So I think that's really a great point because I even wrote that in my notes. I'm like, oh, man, I forgot how much of the advertising was real. Like this was a product placement film, mm. which you're right, does t- take a step back from the other two, but it's still, I just want it to be in the same universe. So I'm just going to pretend it is forever. And it, that it, I yeah, will buy be. that for a dollar. Yeah. Well, there are, there are other elements of it where it's sort of, there are, um, how to put it, there's like a saturation in this. This this feels like a saturated universe as well. You know, like you said, one of the things I always think about is to describe uh, Robocop and sort and Starship Troopers is they feel saturated like they, you've got everything within that culture the advertising the films the people and that sort of thing so although you haven't got the advertising you've still got sort of like Johnny Cab is one of my favorite things of all time um and so it's sort of you know it's there it's a it's a, I don't I think the design's fantastic and the fact it's sort of like you know hi welcome to Johnny Cab and it sort of introduces itself and everything. Um, and there's elements throughout the film, like recall is this, this you know this big thing. Like you say, although there's the, the the sort of product placement advertising, the the place itself like feels saturated. Like when you go to Mars, there's a it's separate from Earth. Like it feels like a place, and they have all you know it has a um, a different tone of different lighting. But yeah, I think that's one of the things I actually like of Verhoeven. Aside from the, the they feel like. A tactile kind of place. It always feels kind of claustrophobic, but it feels like a tactile place. Like, oh no, you could step out and go to, you know, this this world, or I could go to that Mars. I don't want to go to that Mars, but like you could go to that Mars, and I think you could do something there. And I just love that about it. Um, so yeah, I, I always find that sort of with Verhoeven that there's that. Um, the other thing as well is is the blood. Let's talk about the violence in this. Because you can't have a Verhoeven film without violence. And there are a number of scenes that get talked about, but the most Verhoeven of Verhoeven, Verhoeven films, it happens on the escalator or on the stairs. Um, you know, hundreds of squibs on some poor stuntman um, being used as a body shield. Um, brilliantly yeah. done. It's amazingly silly. It's ridiculous. But Well, it, it's a fantasy, you know? 100%. I mean, and, and, uh, yeah. And, and it is... Look, I, I will straight up confess, I love violence. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I love, you know, one thing that that scene does really well is it doesn't pretend there won't be civilians killed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen a million movies where, like, the bad guys are just spraying machine guns everywhere. Here it's like, you know, Verhoeven always does that, where it's like, let's make sure we see, like, a lady with a baby carriage <laughs> getting blown into a wall, you know? And, you know, <laughs> you know, just amazing stuff. So, you know, the the other thing is the way that, even though Arnie was, you know, objected to, you know, I, uh, to more violence in, in the drilling scene, um, 
it's amazing how like he's very likable because he's Arnie, mm. right? But underneath the surface, he's always doing things that are really questionable and really <laughs> subverting and stuff. I mean, he, you know, shooting a woman and saying, consider this a divorce. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, he punches her, you know, there, there, you know, he when he is, you know, um, what is it? Uh, you know, it, the comedy where uh, it was MacGruber, where, you know, mm. as soon as he's shot at, he grabs his ally and holds it. And says, you use me as a human shield. <laughs> Artie literally does that. Yeah. He literally just grabs a civilian <laughs> and uses him as a human shield instinctively. Right. Like, you know, he's he's constantly doing really morally questionable things um, and enjoying the violence. Um, and so I really like that aspect. Like he knows you're enjoying the violence, but in a weird way, like that violence is both super cartoony and also more realistic in the sense that like civilians are getting killed, right? This mm. is not Man of Steel's finale where, you know, it's hiding that fact, glossing over. I mean, for Hope, it's like, oh no, I'm going to show them, you know, like every <laughs> bullet ripping through mama, you know? Um, so in a weird way, it's like more, uh, you know, uh, abstract and more uh, heightened, but also more realistic. But at the same time, it undermines the hero. And yet you never feel that because it's Arnie or because it's so glossy and, you know, well, heightened Bugs Bunny. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you said that because I think like Looney Tunes is that kind of thing, isn't it? It's sort of like, I think Arnold by this point had built up enough goodwill that like you say, he could do this stuff in a film and everyone would be like, it's, it's Arnie being Arnie kind of thing. This is what you expect from an Arnie film. Um, but I also think there's an element of when that number of that, when that amount, when he grabs that person and there's a, I was just, I'm just looking through the pictures on IMDB sort of like, that's it. So when he grabs that guy as a human shield at first, you are like, Oh my God. But then it's, it's a bit, it's, it's the same as the Ed 209 scene in, in Robocop, isn't it? At first you're shocked. And then you're sort of like, oh, it's still going. <laughs> and this is kind of ridiculous. And it's kind of, then it's sort of funny because everyone's sort of like, oh my God. Um, it's the same. This is the equivalent for this to me is that sort of like, because he not only does he hold him once, he literally turns around on the stairs and uses him to defend him front and back. Um, and so it's, it's that thing of like, it starts off shocking and just slowly you realize like, oh, this is a skit. This is a joke. Oh, it's hilarious. Um, it is hysterical. It's g brilliant. I mean, and then, and here's why it works. Here's the answer. The little girl, the little psychic girl, mm. the mutant girl, he's nice to her and he pulls a, dollar, pulls a quarter out of her ear. That's it. That's it. You forgive everything. The whole movie is forgiven. Shooting Sharon Stone, all the things, the, all the people who must have died at the airport. Right when the when they've let the when the let get ready for go for a ride, boom, and the lady blows up. <laughs> all of the cops who are just literally showing up and doing their job, they're all dead. It's all fine because he's nice to that little girl. That's the moment. That's what it is. That scene. Well, also he saves Mars. Been, if you take, if you're accepting that this isn't a true story, sure. he's actually the, the you know he's the 
the savior of the resistance. That's the thing, isn't it? Right, but the resistance is full of those people, right? The resistance is full of, they call the mutants in here, but that's who the resistance is. And so, but like, there's that, and you're right, but like, that is the end. That's the Mm. hero's ending. And so it's, and I know that is the end, but it's almost more abstract than that touching moment where he just instinctively... Yeah, the Doug Quaid character instinctively is like, "Oh, she's so cute." You know, are all psychics this? And here's some exposition. Good job. We need that because there's that line that they sort of use, and then they get away from, it and they come back to that maybe Doug is psychic. He's, and yeah, just... he, he does, I, and I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> uh, the yeah. thing is, and this is the thing with Verhoeven. You know, we're saying about sort of um, Dick sort of pulling the rug and changing facts and stuff. So he's walking. There. He's got Benny, who's the taxi driver, you know, from Mars. And uh, he says, you know, he's he's kind to that little girl. She says, you know, I can guess you're a tourist. And he says, how did you know? And then it gives her the dollar or whatever. And she, and she, and it, but then he turns to Benny and says, you know, are all psychics? And like Benny cuts in and goes, freaks? And Arlene just agrees with him and goes, yeah. So you say he's being nice, but the moment she's gone, he is. He's like, fucking hell, she's she's a right uggo, isn't she? <laughs> like, he's literally called, like, they refer to as freaks. So... There is that thing of like give with one hand, slightly take away with another, which feels very Verhoeven. Where he's that like, is "Oh no, very Verhoeven." That I'm not. Be, that is what will be written on his gravestone. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> going to give you the complete out. Like you know what I mean? It's sort of. It's, well, as Julian was saying, it's complicated. Really, should be mm. written there. It's like Paul Verhoeven. It's complicated. Yeah. Is basic instinct really what you think it is, or is that also a brilliant work of satire? I think it's B. But you forget because of the one scene. Is Showgirls mm. as bad as you think it is? Or did he pick her, Elizabeth, per, uh, I can't think of her last name right now, on purpose to make you uncomfortable? Elizabeth Berkeley. Elizabeth yeah. Berkeley. Yeah, he always knows exactly what he's doing. It's complicated. That's And that's what's brilliant about him. He gives you maybe, the thing. Maybe that's he what we want. We thing. want, I it want is. to do, I want to do a Hollywood Verhoeven retrospective just called, it's complicated. It's complicated. Oh, Verhoeven, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> You're uncomfortable now. Yeah. Did you, Paul Verhoeven, did you really like Showgirls and you're afraid to admit it? <laughs> that's what that, like, you know, it's like. That's that's the, the bit it gets to. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the ultimate question. Um, yeah. The other thing as well is like you say about this, with, not just with the violence, but with, with, you know, all the bits and pieces. It gives you iconic moments, this film, doesn't it? It gives you not so much fist pumping moments, but like, oh man, that's ace. Like, you know. Everyone remembers, like, get your ass to Mars. Everyone remembers sort of um, the, you know, meet, uh, see you at the party, Richter. And, that, you know, his arms get ripped off and all sort of thing. But even going back, like, you know, Arnie's head coming undone, dong, 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 you know, um, when he dresses the sort of... And that, this, how many head special effect doubles does this have of Arnie? Like, there's at least two, but three, sorry, there's at least three. Well, they um, probably could use the the one from the opening dream and the one at the end on Mars yes. twice, right? Yeah, I'm assuming that's the case. Yeah. But like they've, you know, the amount of stuff times they do a version of his head, um, but it's great. Like you know, they've got that you know, dunk dunk dunk, and it comes apart, and like you say, throws it that you know, get ready for a surprise, and then the massive explosion. This is just full of visuals where you're going like, oh my god, that's incredible. The th- the uh, X-ray, um. That it introduces at the start, and then you've got, you know, then gets used for an action set piece where you've got like people running at Arnie in sort of skeletal form and all this. Like, it's just so visually impressive throughout, without being a blockbuster 
if you know it's sort of like it's a it's a hollywood blockbuster but without being what it is today do you know what i mean it's sort of like it knows to sort of have a wink and a smile about it it knows what it is and i think that's why it's so joyful um and well, you know this that that whole sort of like security scan thing that was a big deal at the time and i remember mm. like that got written up in the trade presses and stuff i mean that was really impressive that they had animated that um and of course there's you know there's no reason for Arnold to really jump through that window except to shift back into live action. Uh, but, you know, okay. But you're you're right, Scott. And, you know, the other thing that I think about in, in terms of that is how the dialogue is also really good. And, okay, so, you know, the party Richter thing is it doesn't really work for me. But, you know, there are tons of, you know, classic lines. I And, and just lines that drive home some of that philip k dick stuff better than philip k dick does sometimes um i love the psychic saying you know want to know your future and he says okay. you know what about the past uh, you know and it's just a throwaway line but it's like oh yeah we're all you know like my brain just goes oh yeah we're all trying to figure out our past and all right that's <clears> the end like it's just you know and it's a clever little line but there are so many lines like that that just keep that that pattern going and the pacing also contributes to this effect mm. that, you know, especially once it gets going, it is like one action scene <laughs> after another, the characters stop to talk and it's like, we've got to limit this to 30 seconds, you know, before <laughs> something else happens, you know? And so if you ever have any objection to the logic of something or, you know, like some acting or some bad dialogue or, you know, like, why does, you know, where did the, I, I find myself thinking like, where did the explosives fit in that head that came apart? Why would you make Where did he get it from? Where did he get it? Where did he get it from? Yeah. And why would you program it to deliver this, you know, sardonic line? You know, yeah. like that's not a thing that explosives experts specialize in. But, you know, but if you ever have any of these thoughts, you say it doesn't matter, right? Because instantly you're just swept off into the next bit of dialogue, the next bit of action, the next set piece. Um, and so I think the pacing really contributes to that too. It does. It's relentless, and it's it's. Um, and I know when we will make the switch in a little mm. bit to the to the remake, that gets in its way. Like the relentless nature of that one actually gets in its way. Where this one, because it's working, and because, um, and because it does the thing that Scott and I, when we talked about, um, they live that John Carpenter painful almost thirty minute first act that is, but was so necessary. Right. I mean, I love they live because, and we talked about it. Whereas this does, I mean, it's not as slow the first 30 minutes, but it's hmm. definitely, it's Verhoeven's like, I'll give you 15. I'll give you 15 minute first act, whatever. But, yeah. I, but he does world build and he does <laughs> give us something. And I think that's really important too, to that way you guys are talking about the pacing works. And the reason that it does, and what Julian is so right about is that it, 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 it didn't, the book, the story, he dreamt of Mars. We start with Mars. We start with this quick Mars thing. And there's a bit of an action. He wakes up from a dream. And then we're, but then it's just like domestic y stuff, right? And he gets a shag with Sharon Stone. And then he goes to work. And his, and his schlubby friend is like, let me tell you all about it. I'm Mr. Exposition here. I'm here to tell you about whatever. Yeah, great. But it works because it's slow. We, we need to understand why Schwarzenegger looks like he does. We need to understand all this. So it does it. It doesn't. It doesn't choose to hit the ground running, and mm. and so that when the action scenes happen, they are fast and furious and all the things that Verhoeven does. But I do think that 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 first act did the right did the work right. He's still giving you the world building, and so um, 
And again, he wants you to, he wants you to keep moving because once the ideas happen, he's like, right, if, if, because there's such bullshit. <laughs> Listen, him jumping through the thing, even this time when I watched it, I was like, that is so fucking cool. There's no else, there's nothing else I can say. I mean, do I want to, did I this time say like, why is the only thing we can see is the gun? He has no belt on. There's no metal <laughs> in his boots. I mean, he's a construction worker. There's metal in his boots. Like I used, I know what that looks like. Did, don't pay no attention. Yeah, because it's so cool, and Verhoeven knew it. Like I almost feel like that was intentional too. That is the thing that Verhoeven does is like the stuff like that. What? Who makes a bomb with a talking mask, and where did that come from? Doesn't matter. He want he knows it's stupid, but so he just does it though, and that's so. I mean, I feel like some of the things like a bad filmmaker that would be an accident in the plot, but a Verhoeven film, you're like that's on purpose for you to sit and talk about later. The joke that I just did in front of you that you watched and were like, oh my God, like you said, Julian, you're like, wait, if I start doing the math, that doesn't add up. But you're like, yeah. oh, that's so cool. Talking bl- blowy up head lady. She's cool. And the fact that like you mentioned Looney Tunes earlier, Julian, the clothes changing, like the it's not quite Tinkerel level of costume change, but the, yeah. like, where are they getting all the clothes? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> exit stage left. Now I'm not in the dress anymore. When does he get out <laughs> of the dress? <laughs> yeah well it doesn't matter it doesn't and that's the thing you're not supposed to question it there's nothing in this film to question but what i would say is <clears throat> just two points all about i want to sort of add or just move on to the other thing as well that sort of makes this all work is it looks good like throughout i think the special effects are great um you know the reason i like johnny cab is because it looks ace but even going up to like um just cause it looks grimy it looks daft it looks silly but it looks like it works but the the uh, i think <clears throat> going up to sort of the psychics on mars quato as the sort of thing when it comes out like it's because it's physical effects because it's obviously done through puppetry and all that kind of thing like i'm digging it and i'm, I'm all in for it so um i think this film still so i watched it in 4k um and it's obviously been cleaned up and it looks great like it looks you know a lot of these films from this era sometimes when you have like back mapping and all that sort of stuff you can see it and you go like oof like you know that's looks really rough but no this looks this looks good and you can see that some of those effects and stuff are, are you know and the sets as well look really good um <clears throat> right let's settle a debate then very very quickly before we get to the last one for yeah. Verhoeven does Doug Quaid in this get his ass to Mars, or is he in a chair suffering suffering uh, a psychotic embolism, uh, or whatever they whatever other thing a psychotic episode in a chair? I'll go around the room and then I just want to quickly hear a quick sort of like a summary of the evidence you've got to sort of present. So Julian, <clears throat> I've got to go first. Um, <laughs> no, I think I think in some ways this does that sort of Schrodinger's cat sort mm. of uh, signifier thing where you can see it both ways. Um, and at the watching it this time, I thought, oh, it's really clear this is, um, you know, this is all a hallucination. Right. This is all a and I still think that's the more convincing case um, for, for one thing. Uh, for one thing, uh, you you have the uh, shots in the uh, in recall of the Burnett that he picks. You know, it's clearly 
the same actress, right? You know, how would you possibly explain that? You have the uh, shot that it doesn't seem exactly right, but it's sort of like a matte painting of the alien technology on Mars with sort of hovering. Oh, it's over. like a production design photo. It's like a production design yeah. picture, isn't it? Yeah. And and you can kind of say like, well, maybe that was released to the press. It's like a you know of the alien stuff they found, but that's not really very convincing, right? I you know I don't know how to explain that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and but in terms of the argument against, one of the things that comes to mind is how is he imagining all of these scenes that he's not in? Yes, you know? that's my like, biggest thing. <laughs> like so, in some ways, I find myself wondering like. Does it really work both ways, Julian, or does it really not work both ways, Julian? You know, but uh, for, yeah. for me, I come down on the side of like it's a better movie if it's all a fantasy that ends with a sweeping kiss and you know the you know the the Disney jungle fun of mm -hmm. it all. Um, you know, and so for me, that selling the romance of James Bond of the action thing is, is part of it, and I, I think I come down on yeah, it's it's a hallucination. Um, mm that makes a little more sense, but I'm not sure that either of them totally makes sense. No, but I'd love uh, yeah. to hear what you guys think. <clears throat> Tony, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I would, and I don't love the, the whole thing was a dream as a, as a plot device, but because it starts with a dream and it ends with that almost same, almost mirrored scene. I I've always, I've never, I mean, if my choices are just the two, then he's definitely having a psychotic break, but he, but it still could be that this is, this is his dream. This is his, fantasy this is his and the thing as somebody who's part of my issues is i loop a little and you get stuck in a you get stuck in a uh spiral a little when you're like in your head you're like well then there's this and then there's this and you're like well this is stupid and then you start you start rationalizing the thought and then you come back to the beginning because you haven't actually resolved that thing and just like bitching about the other stuff the loop gets you in the loop so to me that leads me to believe it's all but i mean i want it but this is the thing i it's not real but i won hundred percent want it to be real i want it to be real for doug i want it to be real i want this world to exist i i don't know that anything that happens i mean i yeah i don't think that any of it is real like i believe that melina is probably like his nurse right sharon stone may be one of like the the evil like nurse ratchet character like you know what i mean oh, like, so you I, don't even believe so you don't even believe the opening of the film is real it's all in his head yeah, it's, it's all in all his head all, yeah, uh, yeah. okay Interesting. Okay, that's, that's an interesting take. Because I think, to me, I think, like you say, there's evidence like laid throughout. We talked about the Agatha Christie sort of thing for the, you know, we talked about the book. Like one of the, um, when it, during that sort of the golden age of detectives, they, they wrote 10 rules of writing detective fiction. And one of them was like, you know, you can't lay out clues and then have the, the, the actual perpetrator be someone never mentioned in the book. Like, you know, you can't just go surprise character. Like, the person you you have to be able to work it out throughout the sort of the story for the most part <clears throat> and i feel what this does is exactly if you said julian it lays out clues and i even feel like actors are given direction to give you hints both ways you know in the opening scene when when he gets up like the reaction of his mate his mate the other driller when he talk, he talks him out of going to recall like he gives him a sec like a second suspicious look and you're like oh he knows more than he's letting on. Like Sharon Stone gives him a lingering look as he leaves for work. And you're, again, you're like, that's not a loving look. That's a suspicious look. Like there's things like that throughout the opening that you go, oh, that when you watch it back, knowing where it's going to go, 
you go, oh, those feel like clues to this. The Melina thing, she was in his dream. So I read it this time. I was like, he's literally losing consciousness as he's seeing that character. So that's not what's on the screen. That's what he's putting in his head. And that's what how he's interpreting whatever 3D image they've got on the screen. Things like that. So I'm going like, you know, there's that evidence you could say, oh, this is all real. You know, this is the James Bond fantasy you say that, like, you know, but then straight away, you're right. There are other things where you sort of say, well, it mirrors exactly the, the beginning and the end all mirror each other. It's such a ridiculous thing. There are also like throughout um, the opening scene, you get to meet Cohagen. You get to sort of like this whole thing about the resistance is laid out in the news. All these things are laid out, which go, oh, that all feeds into this fantasy later on. So it, it it wonderfully plays with you. And as a kid, when I sort of watched this too young, didn't care. But I was like, you know, Arnie's blowing shit up and I love it all kind of sort of stuff. But you do watch it now and I'm like, actually, this film, you know, I think gets like gets considered, an, this is considered an Arnie film. But no, this is a Verhoeven film and I think it's a very good Verhoeven film. For the fact I could watch this and go, Oh, actually, if I, I can lay out a case for it being a full James Bond ripping adventure, or I can lay out a full case for this being a full fantasy, and actually, you know, all those scenes that he's not involved in, he's just forming a narrative in his head to fulfill the full adventure. Like, you know, he's literally right. <clears throat> we talked before about, um, you said about every sort of, you know, writing a story or writing, he's like fulfilling, you know, your darks or part of your mental illness or trying to resolve something, mental, mental illness. That may well be it. Doug Quaid sat in a, is sat in a home somewhere, you know, only weighing 90 kilograms in a chair, <laughs> but writing this version out of himself of saying like, no, 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 no. I used to be able to bench press 300 pounds and I did this and you won't believe what the conspiracy was. It sort of, so you can make that case as well. So, but it weaves together so well that you know, but it also gives you what you want <clears throat> in the sense of the the action and adventure. So, like you said, you know, you said before, he's almost like the parent that sort of like you know catches you smoking and go, "Well, you're going to smoke all of them now. You love this, do you? You love it." And then at the, at the same time, it's going to go. But whilst you're doing that, I'm going to make you read <laughs> Philip K. Dick, and you're going to you're going to try and determine what's going on in this story. So, yeah, I think this is this is. Whether we go, what's what are the best, you know, Philip K. Dick uh, adaptations? This is definitely up there. This is always up there for me. With with, you know, this this sort of succeeds where some of the others just don't get it, and they get on the action, um, the action path. Okay. Speaking of those clues, can I just say, you know, mm. I was waiting at a bus stop yesterday, and, uh, you know, I was talking to the stranger next to me, and he was sort of talking to me about his life, and then I realized he was sweating. And I instantly knew he was a fantasy, <laughs> so I just pulled out my gun and gunned him down right Pushed him there. Pushed him in front of the bus. <laughs> yeah, you just shot I mean, him right that, there. That, yeah. yeah, you know, that's the thing I do. That was the right um, choice, obviously. That's right. Well, I mean, it does strike me that that is, like, not a clue at all, right? Yeah. Like, you know, if you're in a fantasy world, why do you have to go in through the door? You know, like, open right. the door. Nothing about that makes any sense, positively or negatively. But, but we love it, anyway. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah, yeah. Every time I see a sweaty person at a bus stop, I just want to push him in front of a bus thinking, you're not real. You're not real. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, we're going to jump up into the future. I know very little about the reason for this remake other than 
um, a film we've already mentioned, uh, is Minority Report. Um, and also the person that made this film and his wife <laughs> being in the cast, um, Kate Beckinsale and um, Len... I was going to say Len Weisman. Goodman then. Len Wiseman, thank you. Um, yeah, so this Listen, comes out in... I want to put Kate Beckinsale in my movie. I like, I'm on, I mean, she knows what she is. Oh, right? 100%. I mean, um, okay, but I mean, make a different movie for her. That's all I have to say. It's like, sir, if she's there and available, you could make something else. Like, Noah Baumbach didn't make this when he first got together with Greta Gerwig. They made Francis Ha. Right. I mean, they. you know what I'm saying? Like you can do something else. You don't have to be like, oh, my wife is an actor and I want to put her in a movie that I want to direct. Let's. Well, the first time he, the first time they got together, he put her in tight leather corsets and made a hey, vampire film. So listen, I openly think those movies are amazing and then they get really <laughs> terrible and then they end on a strong note. I've okay. seen them all. Yeah. Uh, no, they're, they're awful, but I, they also know what they are. The, the Total Recall remake doesn't know what it is. What, All right, let, let's why let's kill the joy? Why did you okay, kill the joy? Okay, that's a very good point. So this is this is something I want to sort of, let's let's go. So twenty twelve this comes out. Um we are going through I think we but you know, we're starting to sort of go through a bit of a resurgence in things. This is the same year as uh, the Avengers, this is the same year as Dark Knight Rising, so or Dark Knight Rising, so you know, it's the sort of the beginning of that ramp up, real ramp up to superhero sort of like things, and the joy coming back to sort of just doing ridiculous things. Um, this feels like it's about five years too late, this film does. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's come about, it's obviously Colin Farrell, um, uh, Jessica Biel, and Kate Beckinsale, mainly. Um, you then get like, other people in it, that, that you know, um, Bill Nye and... Cranston. Brian Cranston. Um, who, what, what's funny about it is... Um, <laughs> When I read people sort of talking about this film now, they all seem to assume that Brian Cranston was famous in 2012. And you're going like, no, he, you know, like he really wasn't. Like this isn't a Brian Cranston cameo. This is Brian Cranston as an actor getting a small part. Like that's it. Like this is before Breaking Bad. This is sort of Malcolm in the Middle kind of territory. Like, you know, this isn't a big name get um, that some people seem to assume it is. Um. Colin Fowles bad. Can I just point out that I didn't know until this time that Dean Norris from Breaking Bad, the cop from Breaking Bad, plays Tony the Mutant oh, in yes. the original Total Recall. The guy with the face that's just like melted on one side. So there's a Breaking Bad connection between these films. Yes. That's but a, the cop I love is that. neatly sequestered in the original, so they're in separate universes, so you can preserve your meth empire. It's all safe. Um, so yeah, anyway, let's dig into this one. So you've got no more Mars. You've now got an Earthbound um, story about the United Federation of Britain, I think UFB, and then the colony, uh, which is Australia. The rest of the world is uninhabitable, and there's basically a device that travels through the center of the earth, flips over. It's a Philip K. Dick thing. He invented that in a different story. So he may again, have done. Like, Still stupid. You no, know, he did. He did. No, but that's the thing. Like, he did it 
And yeah. it exists in the Thursday Next. Jasper Ford uses it as a joke in the Thursday Next books because it's like, you know, that, was, that book series is making fun. It's using mm. from other literary devices. So, like, it's a Philip K. Like, so I remember seeing it. I was like, this is in a different dick story. And I, I, I don't actually or still even remember which one it is. So it's like, okay, if you want to tell that, use to make that one. Yeah. Make that story. Put, put your hot wife in that movie using that technology. What are you doing? No Mars. The opening line is Mars. And this isn't the, the thing that I'm going to get super angry. Okay, listen. The thing is, you didn't remake. You didn't say, hey, what did they leave out of? You can do it. We can we can remember it for your wholesale. Let's let's revisit the source material. This is a re, it says in the credits, this is a remake of Total Recall, which is again also just air quote inspired by a PKD story. So this is inspired by Total Recall, which is inspired by PK. So, th- so the whole dick thing is gone, but then you still went and borrowed from other dick stuff, but you're ignoring the dick. Like if you're going to do it, remake it straight. I un- I would understand that, but it isn't that. It's joyless. And I'm just sad for all of them that they're in it. <sighs> yeah. Sorry. I'm just so sad, yeah, especially yeah. watching them back to back again. I didn't rewatch the 9091 when the 2012 one came out, I just watched it kind of with one hand on my nose, but I'm like, I like the people who are in this. I'm going to give it a try. It was sad. But watching them back to back, woof. Woof. There's a couple of things. I'm, I'm going to, yeah. Sorry. I'm no, sorry, no, 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 no. no. I didn't mean to not let you talk. I was very angry. I'm very no, upset no, no. about making shitty art. No, I You're enjoy your rants. I love it. <laughs> All of our rants are our best moments. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I learned from your rant, I learned never ignore the dick and always take it straight. Uh, that's my takeaway. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think this is one of the rare cases of a remake that's better than the original. Um, you know, it, it is just a, a masterpiece <laughs> from start to finish. Um, no, I agree. I, I agree with everything you said, Tony, about like, why would you do this? It's clear it's a remake of, of, of the original. The lack of Mars, like you would think if you're going to remake the original, right? You say we have better special effects. We could do tons of shit on Mars that they couldn't do the, in the original. You know, the romance of Mars is so much a part of the original, right? Uh, of what works. Leaving out Mars is just a fatal error and replacing it with this stupid version of a globe with two points and the this, this, this stupid ball thing that doesn't make sense. And there are cool shots and stuff, you know, there's, you know, it's it's not a bad idea, but they don't do anything with it. Um you know, those, those uh, you know, robotic synthetic policemen look totally out of the, you know, the later RoboCop remake, you know, just sort of like bad generic life designs, you know. Um, but I will say what I'll defend about this movie, and it's not a good movie. I agree with everything you said, Tony. What I will defend about this movie is I want to make a cut of this movie that is just the city scenes of the British colony. Uh, which are totally Blade Runner inspired. Again, like, why would you take from this other Dick's story? It is so clear. Like, they're like, I mean, we're going to do Blade Runner. We're going to do the Japanese influence. You know, we're going to do this layered kind of city. And that stuff just looks amazing. Mm. You know, it just looks, I could watch that stuff all day. I just want to see that. Ignore the characters. Ignore the plot. Get rid of all of the rest. And just show me uh, characters walking around that landscape. And I'm sold. I'm a, I'm, I can't disagree, actually. I think one of the things I think when the, when the chase scenes are like a wide shot 
is some of the best bits of this film. Because I am like, the, the level of detail and the effects really work to give you stuff. You're like, oh, wow, that looks amazing. There's a great scene where he's being chased. And it has sort of like, it's obviously in the UK, and they have Big Ben. So he must be in Parliament Square. But then they've got all these, like the buildings have had to be built around it and over it and stuff. And it just gives you this idea of scale, of the, the claustrophobia of it all. And I think that stuff all looks really good. Um. But you're right. It, it, this film feels weirdly, you know, you said like, you know, there's joy. Because there's like um, a carnage love of, you know, joy of carnage for the, the original Total Recall. Like it wears its heart and sleeve. It's very Looney Tunes and it knows what it is. This film feels closer to the the Dick story. Simply because I don't think it doesn't know what it is. Um, you've got like Colin Farrell playing, you know, he, and I've, I've seen Colin Farrell, like he's a good actor. Like he's done stuff. He can be charming. He can be cheeky and, you know, but then he can do pretty sort of like complex and sort of serious roles and he can do the action stuff. Like he's not a bad actor. Like he's, you know, I don't think he's ever Oscar worthy, but he's, he's not a bad actor. He's very competent, but he just comes to this and just goes action role. <laughs> And that, that, that sort of sees it. That's it. And I think that the opening scene of this tells you everything you need to know. Like the, the fact that the dream he has is an action scene and stuff tells you 100% what this film is. And you go, oh, okay, that's what this is focusing on. That's all this focuses on. This film wants to be Minority Report. This film wants to be iRobot. That's all this film wants to be without having the sort of star power of Tom Cruise or Will Smith... <laughs> Um, or the skill of Steven Spielberg. Um, the lens flare in this and the sort of the use of the robot synthetic cops and all this other stuff. Like, it's just, and the, the car chase section is so minority report. I was watching it thinking, like, this almost feels like they've just taken some footage from the 2002 film and played it in the background whilst putting new effects on it. Like, it feels so similar in places. Um, so there's all that. But then, like you say, They've brought in like Beale and Beckinsale and all these other actors. No one's having fun. Yet the the sort of the fighting they're doing is like is really impressive. Like the choreography on the You said that at the beginning, Scott. That was it. You said about midway through the movie, you're like, wait, is this good? And you know why you think that? Because Jessica Beale and Kate Beckinsale are excellent action stars. They are, and their 100%. Fight, their fight scenes are the best part of the movie. So midway through, Jessica shows up, and the elevator fight yes. is awesome. It and is. That's it. And so you're like, oh, man, do I like this? And you're like, oh, no, that's just two competent action stars with a good stunt choreographer, and they're and they're not doing the Christopher Nolan cutaway. They're, it's them. You oh, see no. them fighting. So you're like, oh, man, they're great. And, you, and they are both really good action stars. We've yeah. seen them both do action. And so... That's it's that's the moment, and I knew it when you're like about halfway through. I was like, "Is this good?" And then I realized it wasn't because then that's over. Well, that's it. I think that you're right. The thing is, Beckinsale does Beckinsale's playing a rather miserable looking character in this. So she's throughout; it's kind of miserable. But and there should be a bit more joy to what she does. But she is. You're right. She's a legit action star. I think I could. I I think she's very good at what she does. I think she can. You know, she's very competent as a sort of like in with the action choreography. However, there's a scene, and this is where like. I, I said something, it, it popped into my head and I said something that made me laugh to the extent I had to pause the film, which knew that I was not enjoying the film as much as I thought. So, you know, when it's sort of like Farrell 
uh, Farrell's Quaid admits he's been to recall and he's got this thing going on in his head. And then he ends up having a fight with her in the apartment. Yeah. And again, I'm sort of like, okay, fine. And she throws him onto the bed and then she sort of slides across the floor and hits him in the face with her groin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. At nowhere, it happens. And I just sort of went, I am the <laughs> vaginator. And it just came out of my mind. <laughs> and I sort of like, I made myself laugh. And I was like, oh, there's more fun to be had poking fun at this film and it's po-face seriousness than there is in watching this film. And then, but at that point, that's when oh, I was like, that's when I was like, so oh, true. okay. But then you're right about they are, there are scenes that are well put together, but there's nothing good in the story. There's nothing good in the mystery. And so even when it gets to the end, I'm like, eh, like, the stakes in this are rubbish. I, I watched the director's cut this time because Oof. the director's cut is 15 minutes longer, but it features oh, one of my geez. favorite actors of all time. Ethan Hawke's floating disembodied head is in the uh, director's cut. Um, Why? And, uh, he's the guy. He's the voice on the screen. Who's like, who's like, if you I, if they ever told you whatever, here's the thing. Right. He's the voice. You know, um, I don't know why he owed somebody a favor. Whatever he showed up and it's you know, Ethan Hawke. So it was good. It was. It didn't help. You know, how sometimes you're like, oh, if you watch the director's cut, it's better. It was like with Blade Runner, whatever. So again, mm-hmm. it's like this didn't help. Um, so it's it's just 15 minutes sadder. <laughs> Ethan Hawke didn't make it better. Like you know how Ethan Hawke was having so much fun in Valerian. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like he's he's in that for the same amount of time. He's in Valerian for the same amount of time as he's in this. And he's like you could tell he like begged to be in that movie. He's like ooh ooh, can I be in Valerian? I'm gonna have all the fun. And he is amazing. And I know Julian. I know how much you love Valerian. I love that's a great show that you guys did. But like it's the exact opposite of that. It's the inverse joy of him. It's like. He owed somebody a favor, so he showed up and did disembodied head. Why? Just, yeah, Len Wiseman had his children at gunpoint and was like, "You're gonna do somebody this." Somebody was scene. like, "Yeah, right." <laughs> if you ever want to see Maya again, you gotta yeah. show up. But he's like, "All right." Um, yeah. So anyway, all of that to say, sad trombone. It is. That's the thing. Sad. Sad is probably the best word for this. Like the thing is, I gave. It, I ended up sort of giving it three stars because I felt kind of sorry for it when I'm like. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, well, the action's actually really good. I actually think the car chase is really well choreographed. Like, I'm giving this three stars to like the special effects team, the stunt team, the choreography team. I'm giving these stars to say, actually, I could, like, you, you know, um, Julian, you said like if you were to cut out and just have the sort of the the city scenes. Like again, I'm going like, yeah, the VX VFX team on this did a fantastic job. But then also, if you were to just cut out and have just some of the fighting. Even the scene of Colin Farrell fighting off all the the, the police with, with recall and stuff like some of that like reduce some of the lens flare, but some of that is really good. And like I said, the elevator scene and all the fight stuff, brilliant. Just lop out the plot, and I'll just watch this as a sort of like a show reel of what's possible, and that's all I want to see. That's the good stuff. Everything else is dreadful. Yeah, I think you guys have nailed it. Like, it, it wants to be a serious movie of its era, right? Mm. It want, and the Minority Report and iRobot influences are there. Um, and it, it takes itself deadly seriously. And its ideas are not up to snuff. And its acting is not up to snuff. And the plot is not up to snuff. Um, and so it ends up being this sort of half-baked mishmash pile. 
But, you know, I, I, I want to say that, you know, I, I like the design of the elevators. You know, I, I mean, I, I find myself consistent and I don't know if this is like an Aspergery thing, but like, I find myself like I'm watching characters fight and I'm just like, that's an interesting window. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm just constantly watching the, you know, I'm like, yeah, Kate Beckett sales fine. But, you know, look at, look at what's through that window at the city beyond it. <laughs> and I just, you know, I'm watching, I'm like, where, how do these elevators work? Where do they come from? You know, how do they connect? It, you know, if it explodes above it, does that cause a ripple? Oh, no, 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 that that line isn't the rail they're riding isn't, you know, what it net. And I find myself just I'm constantly thinking about that stuff, um, you know, and, and there's stuff like that that doesn't make sense. Uh, like, you know, that weird sort of like rectangular window that he, he slides through and oh, God. on the floor. Through and it's, yeah. it's like, why do you have a window on the floor? But. It, it, at the same time, it's very Blade Runner. You know, mm. And I remember when I saw this at the time, Blade Runner 2049 had come out, and I thought, this is as close as we're going to get to a Blade Runner sequel. Like, it's clear, like, I mean, first of all, I don't I don't know why, I mean, I guess the rest of the world is uninhabitable. I don't know, you know, why, uh, you know, England has been spared and why it's conquered most of Europe. You know, I, I don't know. Ecological disaster. It, 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 literally, in a sort of an intro intro line, it's like the world is mm. in, uninhabitable because of ecological disaster. And then carry so on. So that is like, like a twelve-year-old right. boy. That yeah. this is a twelve-year-old boy wrote. It was like, we'll be cool. <laughs> and what if? And you know, and you know, and that's really true. You know, part of my James Gunn problem is I always feel like all the women in James Gunn movies are written by what 12 year old boys think adult women talk. That's like James Gunn can't write female dialogue. I'm not a big James Gunn fan. Like I think the second Guardians suffered because the original Guardians was written by a woman and he came in and added jokes. And then he wrote the whole second Guardian and like the whole relationship between the sisters is lost. And it's like, he's like, I almost, I can envision him with like two female action figures, like a Gamora and Nebula action figure. And he's like, and then we fought and we were pretty. <laughs> and that's what girls say to each other, girls. And that, this feels very much that way. The elevator fight scene is really good. There's a lot of good, but yeah, the, the, there's, like you said, there's like, you know what would be cool? Let's make this happen. And again, what Bear Verhoeven, I think purposefully does the things that are stupid, like the like the x-ray thing like wait wouldn't his he have steel toes in his boots so we would see that but we don't because he's like ha i'm messing with your head like it's intentional where this is accident this thing this is a bad film made by a, a fine action director. like this guy's a good you know how we always say like you talked about um um Zack Snyder, he's like the world's greatest cinematographer who also just mm. happens to make films. Like, I love to, like, I, I think he's a great cinematographer. Maybe not the best director. He, this guy knows how to shoot an action film. He can set it up. He may be a good DP. Maybe he shouldn't be the director. Maybe he shouldn't yeah. be in charge. Because there's somebody else needed to be like, well, last, what if? Because the thing, the reason the Underworld movies all work, because they're like werewolves and vampires, and they're all sexy. You're like, cool. I love the way, they, I love the way you say they work. I love the, well, the reason they work. <laughs> well, the reason they work is because you don't care. There's nothing. Yeah. They don't have to be anything different than they are. They know what they are. They pretty much know this, what they are. Right. And this, yeah. this, don't remake, don't call it Total Recall. Don't remake Total Recall. You even use their, like, her name is Kristen in the story, but they used Lori as the name. Yes. They used, and Quaid. Like you did, and Quaid, you did, you could, it just, and again, I don't look. You make art, and people love this. There's a review on the DVD that somebody actually is a liar, and it says, 
Although it just says it was from MySpace. So that tells you that it's not thing. It says better than the original. Andrew Freund from MySpace. It's, it's the review is somebody from MySpace. <laughs> yeah, what you don't what you don't mean what you don't realize is that's been clipped from a sentence that sort of said, some arsehole said this was better than the original. <laughs> <laughs> totally true. Totally true. But Access Hollywood says it's smart, sexy, and action packed. Sexy yeah. and action packed. I'll give you that. I think the thing is you say about the whole uh, thing, all this uh, is you know, because we're talking about the action, we're talking about the visuals, right? The moment, you know, is again, you realise this doesn't work every time it slows down. Every time this slows down to try and have some character interaction, it does not work. Like, it feels really clunky. The the drinking scene between um, Doug and his friend Harry and all that sort of feels really sort of clunky and then, you know, Later on, even some of the sort of like um, emotional stuff between um, Dog and Melina. And then more than anything, the moment he makes it to the resistance <clears throat> and you meet the the resistance leader played by Bill Nye. And Bill Nye sort of steps out the shadows and it's supposed to be some sort of like big reveal. And I'm sort of going like, oh, this is going to be... Um, you know, this is going to be some sort of reveal. He's actually going to be a mutant or something like that. And you're like, no, it's just Bill Nye. And you're like, all right, cool. All right. Well, you, you, you've set this up to be something special. It's just Bill Nye. I'm kind of cool and with it's that. Him. But like, Again, but... how'd you get, who did he owe a favor to? Because even he, you know, like he can do villain and twisty and have fun. He's not even having fun. No, it, it, this is it. So this film, every time it slows down, just literally slows to a crawl. And it's like, and then it tries to build up to a big finale in this sort of elevator, and that is one of the worst, dullest finales. After after everything that's gone on, I'm like, is this still going? Oh my god! Like, let this end. So, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. This... And what are the stakes? A stupid invasion, a cockamamie plan. Why are you leading the invasion yourself? You know, it's one of these finales, like you know, a lot of superhero finales where you're just like. Okay, I know who's gonna win. Just get, tell me what the takeaway is, and yeah. show me what you're gonna show me. Right? Just get this over with. Yeah. Uh, but I'll say further, like, uh, you know, what you were saying about Bill Nye, like, there are a lot of moments like that in this where it's almost like it's, you know, the typical problem with sequels and remakes is they try to one up the original, right? Mm. Like, we gotta escalate it, and sometimes that works, and usually it doesn't, right? And people say, you know, it, it. it you know, does usually doesn't work. This tries to, in a weird way, it tries to, uh, un to aim lower consistently, right? Like, <laughs> you know, did did you think that you know, uh, the the mutant leader of the resistance was fun and interesting? We've got a guy, <laughs> like, like you know, we are going to deny you that enjoyment. Yeah. Um, and it sort of consistently does that in this weird way. And, you know, you, you know, Scott, you said it sort of slows to a crawl whenever characters talk. And that's true. But that dialogue is also like a pale imitation of the original dialogue. Mm. Um, and I would say even a lot of the action stuff is, you know, it's OK. But when, you know, the uh, in the elevator stuff, that a, a robot gets his, you know, his arms cut off and you're like, you know, in the elevator and you're like, oh, okay, that's the finale from the original, except it's a robot. It's stripped of its blood. It's stripped. Of, you know, so again, it's like we're going to sort of reference the original, but deliberately take away all of your joy and excitement from it. And I'd say even a lot of the action sequences are sort of not that great to me, you know, sort of kind of boring. 
the conversation when he returns home and he says, I killed some guys. You know, again, the dialogue is bad. It's not as good as the original. But there's an action scene, just like the original, there's an action scene and then you have the exposition sort of dialogue. And then you've, but you've got to have another action scene because she's going to be pursuing him through the whole movie. So it's like action scene, dialogue, action scene continues in this really clunky way. And to me, neither the dialogue nor those action scenes work. So that's and not what a great did you, you know what you know what you just said, Julian, and I so I just looked. You know, this is PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's the problem. If you talked about shooting lower, well, you can't one up one of the bloodiest, most ridiculous scenes. <laughs> make it PG thirteen. They still do the three boob scene, but it's because it's they get away with it because it's not real boobs. It's yeah. alien. You know, it's it's so that's what it is. You went you went PG thirteen. And so, therefore, you shot, you went lower, and that's why it's got to be the robots. I mean, there's a there's a fight scene where Colin Farrell f- gets into a fist fight with a robot, and this isn't like yeah. the one, the real, like the you know, talk about a guy who's also been adapted very well, sometimes very poorly. Richard Matheson, like uh, Hugh Jackman's Real Steel, where it's actually robots fighting, but they have him be the avatar for the robot, so it's very exciting and it's shot well and all that. And I mean that whatever. That's, we literally that's talked rough. about the uh, Twilight Ozone episode of that the other day. So, right, Richard Matheson. I mean, Richard Matheson is you know again mm. sometimes you get him right, sometimes you get him way wrong. But like when you got robots fight, but it's like literally. Like he's punching a robot. Well, you can't. That's dumb. You're good. That's a robot. It's not yeah. a guy in a suit. It's not. You're not fighting a stormtrooper. That was like I remember sitting there watching that scene this time while Jessica Biel's trying to reload or whatever, and it's like this is so dumb. This is. But dumb. not in fun way. Not in a dumb like in a fun way. When no, I'm like, say, when does, I'm watching the not... original. When I'm watching the original, and you're going like you, like you say, you know, you're watching. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger his eyes get sucked out on the on the you know, the surface of Mars, Watching and you go, Ronnie, "This is dumb." Ronnie's but you go, "Face melts." Yeah. right. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah, or like him pulling the thing out of his nose, or Ronnie Cox going off on some rant. Like, yeah, you go, yeah this is dumb, but it's fun. Like, there's a joy yeah. to this. The uh, one thing I would say, just as I'm going to, I'm going to finish this off on this point. One of the things is this tries to homage, homage a number of things. So you see, you can tell its influences on Minority Report and iRobot and everything else. There's a scene in this very much where he's got to get from the colony to the UFB and he's got to get through customs. And there is a woman walking through wearing a yellow top and an orange scarf and, and has orange hair. And she's sort of a middle-aged woman. And obviously it's a, it's a joke because you're supposed to be following her. Now this is a double joke. Cause if you've watched the film, the original, you're following her and they go, Oh, it's the person behind him. All that does to me is even though I've just watched it, the original is go, yeah, that's a much better film, isn't it? <laughs> That's all it does. It, it just reminds you, you, go, this would be so much, this would be so funny if that was ripped off and you found that that actually was Colin Farrell under that. Like, that would be much funnier. Like, yeah, but it's not. It's another thing. It's a hollow mask and it's, it's just, it's, as Julian, as you said, it's lesser. Everything is lesser. And because of that, it's just, it's a real sort of miss. Um, right. Any final thoughts then for anything uh, Total Recall? This just shows how much we like each other that we all agreed to rewatch Total Recall 2012. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Never well, again. We, I think I think we've done we it. We definitely like each other. I yeah. I will I will add the one thing I will add is my vagina is a weapon, and that is the most female empowering scene I have ever seen. <laughs> no, somebody said that right. Like yeah. you know, <laughs> dude. Like literally, her vagina is a weapon. Like this is girl power, man. 
The vaginator, I'm telling you. The vaginator. Love it. <laughs> um, oh my god. Right. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. And uh, guys, thank you very much for joining us on this. This has been a, a blast of a story time. Um, so I'll quickly run around. Um, Tony, because you got to drop off. Um, where can people find you and all yeah. your stuff? arfarina.com, one-stop shop. You can get my novel. You can get some short stories. You can get, if I move my head, oh, what's that? Is that a copy of a book that Scott Weatherly edited that I'm in that Julian put mm. out? Look at that. And it all comes together right there on my desk, waxing and waning a book about Moon Knight that I'm in. So you could get that there. There's a link there, and you should definitely pick that up. That's the way to get hold of me, arfarina.com. Buy that book. Uh, it'll make all three of us happy. It was most indeed. Thank you very much, Tony. Julian, where can people find you and all your stuff? Uh, my comics are at martianlit.com, you know, Secport, uh, which does uh, Secport uh, e-things, is at secport.org. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm at juliandarius.com, and, uh, you know, but the main thing is I love you guys and had a lot of fun. Yes, it was it been a joy. Yeah, 100%. You know, did on that. Yeah, so so ladies, yeah, we can find you can find obviously 20th Century Geek on all the social medias if people are still using them at 20 20th Century Geek.com. Um and also as you say, yeah, waxing and waning or judging dread, uh links to those obviously on all those websites. Go find them and obviously on Sequa to more books. And Julie and I, we are from Stories Out of Time and Space, our other sister podcasts. Uh we have another uh well, we have a bunch of stuff. We're currently going through every episode of Black Mirror. But we may have another surprise for you there. We may be back. We'll see. Um, but also, we are working on a book too. We are working on a volume one of essays for Stories at Time and Space coming soon for 2024. Um, but as well, check out the Patreon. The Patreon, we do Trekking Through the Twilight Zone, 30-minute thoughts, more sort of bonusy stuff for Stories at Time and Space. There's loads of stuff going on over there as well. A bunch of much content. Um, so go check that out. Links down below. But ladies and gentlemen, what's thank you story? very much. Wait, what's the next story? Oh! Next story. Uh, I forget. Are we close? Um, oh, my word. I have to go in and check um, of the list. You're the list master. I do. I have it written down so I can sort of go back and check. Sorry. No, no, no. Prepared. It's a good point. I, yeah. I, sh- I should have been prepared. <laughs> right. You guys read. We do read. You read. <laughs> Don't let him fool you. Here we go. People. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's a goodie next. Uh, we are very close to the answer. It's Who Goes There and The Thing. John Carpenter's oh. The Thing. Um, Carpenter and, uh, making, a, making a repeat appearance. Yeah. Uh, the question is, should we do the original? Obviously, there's the original thing. Yeah. Uh, the Thing and The Thing from Matt Space. So, yeah. And the um, Elizabeth Winstead one. Oh, yeah. Gotta do them all. Christ. Gotta yeah, do yeah, yeah. Gotta, gotta catch them all. It's like gotta Pokemon. catch them all. <laughs> Ramona Flowers. Uh, we're sorry that you're in that. We'll talk about it next time. Yes. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, guys. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your support and uh, for listening. And guys, we shall see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.